You can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the craven too comes from the green dragon. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another Kylie's Around the World SBG tour. And wow, this recap is going to be a big one. Uh, this one is going to be about my New Zealand tournament leg, uh, where I play in the Avon Hen tournament without a voice. That's right, I go through the entirety of this tournament without being able to talk more than maybe a few words here and there, uh, and basically have to navigate these games uh, with wild gestures and complicated series of blinks and... Uh, yeah, this was uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, I'm still feeling a bit crummy uh, after um, my drive up from Queenstown, uh, or sorry, my drive up from Cromwell, since I uh, stayed in Cromwell overnight. Uh, and yeah, I, I didn't think that the uh, the laryngitis was gonna be like super bad, but uh, as the further down, like the further up the road I got, the the worse and worse it got to the point where I was like pretty hopped up on meds uh, going into the tournament on a. Uh, the first day. Now my voice hasn't quite fully recovered yet, but I feel like it's it's gone to the point enough where I can aptly recap what uh, what happened in these uh, five pretty intense games. And uh, yeah, well, let, let's just get straight straight into it. So I Avon Hen is a good and evil tournament, which is, means you'll never have an evil versus evil matchup or a good versus good matchup. Now, originally, I was going to take my Assault and Lothlorien, uh, kind of spec'd a little bit differently with uh, the Wild Chieftain and a lot more beasts, but uh, Loki, uh, I, I had loaned the uh, the Assault and Lothlorien to him instead and let him have a crack with it uh, and let him um, uh, have some fun with that list whilst I instead pivoted to the Easterling army list for the tournament. So I had uh, the Emperor... Uh, Rotabi and Bergir and just uh, a plethora of guys and then for my good list I had the Bayonings. Now round one, uh, I should also mention, sorry, before I go into round one, uh, the tournament was using the pool vetoes so a single pool would be revealed and then both players would get to pick one scenario from that pool that they don't want to play uh, with um, the players uh, playing the one scenario that neither of them had vetoed. So having the vetoes in, in the uh, pools uh, meant a lot for me. It means I could really lean into and play with the bears. And it also meant that the Emperor and stuff could get us some slightly more favorable matchups uh, in, uh, in there going for me. So round one, I was up against Alex in Assassination, is what we opted into. So the unique scenarios, also known as the kill the enemy heroes scenarios. And Alex was opted to use his uh, good force, his Glorfindel, Gildor, and Kidan, with a whole uh, plethora of elves. There was, you know, some Noldorian exiles uh, kicking around in there, and they, uh, I think there was a knight or two as well, uh, just to be annoying. So the Emperor had a lot of work uh, cut out for him, but uh, fortunately for me, deployment really went my way. So my opponent won the deployment drop first, and he kind of came down. Here and there, but notably, he left his left flank a little bit weak. Now we're on this like Shire board with this field in the middle, and 
the first two drops of Glockendolakinia had gone up to the right in between two hobbit holes, so this nice, really solid choke, and it was the kind of choke that elves dream of. Not too thin, so that the Dragon Emperor and the pikemen would have a field day, but not too wide as they would get overwhelmed and enveloped. It was kind of like the perfect width, about 12 or so models wide, so just enough to get the full aura effect from Kinaan, and just close enough that uh, he could make a real mess of it. But Gildor uh, notably came down on the left, on the other side of the Hobbit's Hold, instead of going all the way behind uh, Kinaan and Glorfindel and that shield wall. So, knowing it was assassination, I had a feeling that Hang on a sec. I could have a real go at, uh, at um, at, uh, Gildor here and try and make him my assassination target. So after I had dropped down uh, Gildor and Ratabi, I just went hard in with, uh, um, sorry, the, the Emperor and Ratabi. I went hard in with Ratabi on the left flank and used the drum to make sure that Ritabi, uh, that the Brogir and the Emperor could get really up into their face. And I figured, even if Gildor starts to run away, with the drum, I have the opportunity to catch him, and a heroic combat from uh, Ritabi through the lines could be really helpful as well. So I pushed up hard on my left flank, threatened that. I even forced Gildor to uh, um, really kind of play a bit bit more defensively than he would have otherwise liked, and he couldn't actually get far enough away on that first turn. So Rutabi ran in, uh, got some nasty combats going, got a really nice, uh, won the, the, the heroic move off, and got a really nicely sequenced heroic combat where Rutabi was able to combat off a knight using the slightly bigger base on the 40mm to push herself and some other warriors into Gildor. And although I didn't get Gildor on the first turn, losing the Elven Blade roll off, with Gildor no longer having any might points, I was able to get him on the second round of combats and really, really lay it home. The other thing that I, I really liked about kind of my positioning that I did in this game was that I used the Emperor as a kind of a defensive piece. So I knew that I wasn't too worried about Glorfindel coming into the Emperor and trying to like hit and, and do some wounds, but I was worried about Glorfindel coming in with support. So I made sure that the only time Glorfindel could have got that really nasty charge off was if he had gone in alone. And Glorfindel, being Glorfindel, didn't want to take that alone, so instead it went really wide and tried to cut in around the back to uh, threaten my backline and threaten Brogear, which I assumed at this point was my opponent's target for this game. Now, whether the, the assassin was, was Glorfindel was irrelevant, I'm pretty sure Gildor was going to be the assassin in this case. Rutabi was my assassin, of course, but Brogear was able to do the great escape after pivoting a threatened channeled... Uh, uh, tremor into a channel fury and then jump over into that little field I talked about earlier. Yes, that little field uh, was walled. So Brogear jumped into the field and went Hi Glorfindel, I have a defended barrier now. You, you might want to go around and uh, kind of stymied Glorfindel's advance. Uh, the Cataphrats were doing work as well. Uh, I kept a couple of them kept going into Glorfindel just to slow him down and slow his ability to call her at combat to really cut through the back. I always made sure that I had four wounds in the combat with Glorfindel and rob him of his charge bonus so that he couldn't really put the pressure on and really get in and aggressive. So yeah, once I had killed uh, Gildor with my assassin being Rutabi, it was pretty much all on my uh, pretty much all over from there. I was able to really grind it out, slow play it down, and eventually I walked away with an 11-0 win of Alex in round one, which is a really great way to start a tournament. 
uh, with an 11-1 victory. Uh, sorry, an 11-0 victory. Uh, and yeah, the Eastleys once again proving uh, just how dominant they are and how absolutely batty uh, Brogy and Rutabi are. So moving into round two, my voice was starting to feel a little bit better. But um, in truth, it wasn't. Uh, it was kind of like the placebo effects of taking all the drugs. Uh, but round two, I was up against Sam. And Sam was running... Uh, Sam was running the Black Riders Legendary Legion. He won the roll-off, and I think he won every single roll-off this tournament. and uh, Except for maybe one earlier on. But uh, Sam played his Black Riders the entire tournament. So 700 points of Black Riders. He only went with the 8 uh, Nazgul instead of the Mighty 9. Uh, opting for a few more stats, a few more might and fate points uh, in and amongst them. But this was this was really interesting. I had played the Black Riders before, but not against the Bears. So the way the vetoes worked out was I didn't want a contest of champions because obviously Black Darts are just going to, to, to ruin my day, as it were. And interestingly, my opponent didn't go for Lords of Battle. I think he didn't want me to be so close to the center line. And instead, we ended up playing to the death, which basically was going to come down to who can kill the other first and it was really interesting because um the way i had set it up the way we, we were set up because we had that 24 inch gap in between us that no, that no man's land um my opponent called a march first i knew my opponent was going to call a march first turn and get in range so i was arming and iron whether to leave both bears uh in range uh with the ability of my opponent to black dart them but instead what i <coughs> opted for was to pull Bayon a little bit further back behind my lines and leave, leave Grimbayon up the front, trying to bait out and absorb some of that initial black dart pressure. So Sam runs in with the march and then drops nine black darts on Bayon. Now, uh, sorry, on, not on Bayon, on Grimbayon. Now, this was a really interesting resource management game because the Black Riders have so much up their sleeves in terms of resources and what they can do. Uh, they have a ton of uh, Black Darts, but also they have the Screams too once they get into combat. So I was really having to um and ah and pick and choose about what I was going to do in terms of kind of playing out this resource game. So I was relying heavily on my Resistant Magic, I was relying heavily on my Bear Saves, and I was also relying heavily... Uh, on staggering out my resources to make sure I had the most bang for my buck. So whenever my opponent uh, got a uh, a six on their black dart, I would throw two. And whenever they got a five, I would throw one. Trying to use my might and use my will to extend that uh, that those, those resources as far as I could get them. So at the end of uh, the first turn uh, and the plethora of black darts, now not all eight black darts could get in on Grimbay on this turn. I think he only got five or six. But at the end of the first turn, Grimbay Beyond was down to one wound, one fate, and out of will. Uh, he had a, a might point kicking in the bank too, but it's definitely blinking red health bars for Grimbay on going into turn two. And... My opponent really didn't have to spend a lot to, to get these wounds off, you know, uh, with some, a couple of, uh, two to three will on, uh, every ring rape, and I think it was like two or three, two might, I think it was, uh, plus the march, so three, which wasn't a bad trade to get Bayon, uh, Grim Bayon down into the red bar, but what was interesting was what happened on the second turn. 
So, having got the Grimbay on down so low, I did win the roll-off in this turn, and I was able to kind of move up and transform Grimbay on, which was interesting that uh, I had done this, because one, it gave me the bear save, uh, and two, it also uh, gave me uh, defense eight, which meant black darts were now fours to wound rather than threes. And whereas the first five wounds on Grimbay on came really easily, the next two proved to be the most resilient bear that ever lived. All these black tarts, it took all eight black darts from the Nazgul to get the final two wounds on Grimbay on. Uh, I passed the fate with a might point and I got lucky and got a bear save in there as well. So the extra kind of oomph coming in from all of these spells really, 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 really hurt because it banked out another bunch of, another stack of might and with the two wound rolls needing the four plus instead of the three plus, a couple more extra might points were having to come out to convert these these wounds. And what ended up happening in terms of uh, at the end of the game, when we calculated out, my opponent spent 245 points worth of might, will, and fate, if you count the might, will, and fate being five points each, to kill Grimbayon. So in terms of the resource trade here, I kind of came out a little bit ahead. I traded a 200-point bear for 245 points worth of stats off the ring race and all of them going into these final turns were basically down to two three will which really at the end of the day is is not a lot of will to kind of write home about and, and deal with so my opponent wisely backed off I, I tried to get some cheeky wounds in with the great bows but they weren't doing a hell of a lot i think i knocked off a fate point at some point uh, of one of the random wraiths uh, but in the end, I was able to. Uh, sorry, in the end, it didn't amount to much. I pushed up, and the priority wasn't really going my favor. I kind of had a couple of decent angles to maybe have a crack for it, uh, kind of look for an avenue. But the way the priority was shaking out, we basically meant I had to, I had to entice my opponent in. You know, let him come to me and hope that his first initial charge on the horses don't do as much damage as. Uh, as I hope. So I baited him in. I, I, I set myself up, you know, didn't leave him an opportunity to be on. And then phase two of the game, which is the Transfix Screams, comes in. And the channel Transfix Screams were doing work. He used it to pin a lot of my front line and then charge in and get the extra two attacks hoping to erase some. And what was really interesting about this was even though uh, he, he tried a couple of black darts on Bayon, but Bayon just kind of went, I've got a whole bunch of will and might, bugger off. Um, so eventually he pivoted to these screams. Scream, scream, scream. Not Pinned a lot of the front rank. I got a couple of cheeky uh, natural uh, six resist rolls uh, in the front range, which brought out a couple of extra screams. But essentially, on this first turn of charges in, there was two screams left. Uh, afterwards, and I basically went to myself, right, that's it. I just got to survive this turn. I just have to survive this onslaught of all of these nasty ring wraiths. And luckily for me, I did. I only lost one Grim uh, Bayoning in this turn, and I even managed to win in the one combat with the one model that I didn't have transfixed. Was able to win the combat and kill a horse. So this was an ecstatically good turn for me. I pulled out pretty much every single Scream Bar 2, and the Grim Bayon the Bayonings were in combat. Now, I knew I was never going to get priority and get the recharge here, not with Bayon being in the back, back rank and transfixed. So, once again, I had to survive another turn. But this time, I was good odds 
to be able to hit back. So once again, the screen comes over the top. The last of the screens go through. Bayon gets transfixed, and this is it. This is this is the Hail Mary. This is the make or break turn. This is the turn where the Wraiths have to get some kills. And yes, they did. They they killed two, three Bayonings, but on the crackback, I killed three horses and knocked off a plethora of might and fate off the Wraiths, putting them into a dangerously uh, vulnerable position. And then the next turn. That was when it was finally in. Bayon finally managed to get into combat. Uh, there was no screams left to stop him. They're, all the wraiths are on one wound. There was limited might pools left. And with some clutch good courage tests, Bayon was able to go in, call a heroic combat, kill two wraiths. And then from there, it was my game to lose. My opponent did get close. He nearly got me broken. He got me down to one model from broken. Uh, at the end of the game and what was really really brutal was the amount of bayonings it was like three four bayonings on one wound at the end of the game too but turns out burly with two-handed weapon is really good at killing wraiths and killing horses so i was able to finally just clutch out a win although it was a 9-0 win which is you know a little bit of not indicating of, of like how close the game was it was a pretty interesting game uh having the bears go up against the ring wraiths and I think it's a very interesting matchup, this one. I, I still am not the biggest fan of the Black Riders, but at 700 points, they don't have buckets of will to throw at you. So it felt a little bit... You felt like you could actually navigate the matchup a little bit better. So shout out to Sam. This was this was a very interesting game. Um, really interesting uh, how getting the first couple of easy wounds through on Grim Bayon when he was in man form really kind of kind of wrote the, the, the story of the game where my opponent felt he needed to chase and uh, kind of go for that the, the, the kill on on, on the on, on one of the bears and ended up spending a lot more resources uh, than he would have liked to uh, to kill the bear so round three uh, uh, we come in uh, I'm up against George in the object scenario so that is retrieval uh, seize the prize and I believe uh, destroy the supplies. So right away I knew all mounted Rohan against my uh, Easterlings because uh, I had won the roll off and I was like I do not want to play uh, into a 40 model Harad army with my Bayonings. So I opted with the Easterlings knowing I had the drum, I had, I had tools to uh, deal with the uh, deal with my opponent's uh, army so he had Thaden, Gambling, Aemir, Dernhelm and Darawine so lots of big nasty heroes the first turn of charges were going to be seriously seriously scary so in the end we ended up playing retrieval I vetoed off um, the uh, destroy the supplies because I'm uh, like I ain't playing that many Rohan on that wide of a board front no way no how and my opponent was like I'm not playing see surprise when you have a drum and it's a 50-50 to get to the fill so we ended up playing uh, Retrieval. I started really aggressive in the middle. Uh, even pushed up to the point where I was going to allow my opponent a first turn charge. But George made a slight miscalculation. I don't think he realised how powerful Tremor can be on cavalry models. So there was an angle with the uh, 9 inch move with uh, Brogear where I could get a channel down through the line uh, and hit 3 Royal Guard. Just regular three roll guard if I rolled high enough. And I needed a four plus to hit all three. And luckily for me, I did. I got the spell off. I got the four plus. Nuked uh, two roll guard outright and killed the horse of the other. So that for me was an extremely good start to this turn. Now I had to go a little bit 
out of position, but I was able to sneak Rutabi in front of Brogier after his slight overextension, and then put the Emperor right next to both of them. Which basically meant Brogier was pretty safe. I mean, they would have to, my opponent would then have to cut through a Rutabi, and I have to try and flank with uh, the rest of his force going into the Emperor. So I pushed up, I left my drakes, I had two drakes in my army all the way back on my own objectives, and I had my cavalry in a prime position behind my lines, ready to run in and peel off and take away all the uh, extra attacks uh, as my opponent ran into the game. I ran in and attacked. Now, first turn of combats was uh, really, really brutal. Uh, a couple of strikes went off and... He killed, uh, George killed a few of my front rank, but what really, uh, made this interesting was, uh, sorry, really brutal, sorry, not really interesting, although it was kind of interesting, was the turn when, um, George ran in and set up for the death turn to go absolutely crazy in gangbusters, was also the turn I decided to go for a tremor on gambling. Now, I wasn't trying to kill gambling with this tremor, but I was trying to get the knockdown, because once a banner is knocked down, they don't get the banner reroll. And I figured this would be a perfect time because worst case scenario, he resists whatever, one dice, what do you do? Uh, but best case scenario, he's forced to spend some might, or, and if I get extremely lucky and he rolls the one, then the banner's knocked down and gambling is dehorsed. And luckily for me, that exactly is exactly what happened. I rolled the five high, um, gambling rolls one, and he's knocked on his ass. And giving me a really good opportunistic turn to really go in and create some pressure. So on the previous turn, uh, uh, Darawine, um and Durmhelm had gone in and tried to really make a mess of things. Uh, Durnhelm did. Uh, sorry, Durnhelm went poorly. I had to spend a might point. Uh, sorry, a couple of fate to save the horse, uh, having lost the combat on just an awful roll. And Darawine only killed a couple. Uh, what I did here was I used my pikes. To basically funnel as many attacks into the into the Darawine combat and basically just throw the two dice, whatever against um against Darawine. So Durnhelm was always gonna was fighting like six strikes, and Durnhelm uh, Darawine was only fighting two. So what that's always like one of the fun things you can do with the pike block, uh, any pike block really is you can funnel focus the attacks one way or the other depending whether heroes come into charge, and that's what I did to to really put some pressure on um. Uh, Dernhelm in this situation. Amy tried to push up my right flank and make a break for my objectives, but once again, the cavalry in the back rank for me were paying paying for themselves in this regard. They were able to run in, and on the turn where death was called, Amy was found himself flat-footed, uh, not so much trapped, but definitely uh, boxed off. So Amy only had the three attacks and couldn't really get much done, even though he won the combat, only killed. Uh, uh, only, only one on the crack back because again, no knockdown and blunted charge. The following turn was just me putting the pressure on. Uh, I called a heroic combat with um, the Dragon Emperor, even though uh, my opponent was in this awkward position where he had he uh, put me in this awkward position where he just basically fed a uh, royal guard into me. But for me, at that point, I just needed to get rid of the royal guard. I just need to get rid of the peel. That was my sole focus for this, uh, for these uh, next couple of turns, was get rid of the peel, make it so that it's just the heroes fighting me, and make sure they're isolated and uh, cut off from the rest of the uh, of the Rohan list. So that's what I did. I collapsed, 
killed all the um the basic guys. Even Rotabi ran out, killed a um royal guard, and then used it to get into a threatening position behind um uh gambling and crew. And eventually, I was able to swamp in around the the uh, three man heroes of Thaden, uh Durnham, and Darawan, even using a blade raft with the Emperor to kill uh, Thaden. And then once that was mopped up, Rotabi went and ran for the objectives, and everyone double backed. And went and swamped and surrounded uh, Amy, who, whilst he was doing well, fighting off and killing models here and there, he was bogged down completely because of the uh, charging cataphracts just robbing him of attacks every turn. And when you have fight for base infantry against Rohan, that first turn charge where you run in and strike up is really, really important because you need those eight kills. You need to go in with all your heroes, strike up, get those get the double kills on all of them and really put me under pressure and get rid of my ability to crack back but I had done the exact opposite gone in, killed all the royal guard focused them down as quickly as possible and made sure that I was in a commanding position I even got a little bit cheeky in this scenario I once again used the army bonus from the uh, Easterlings to keep the game going which uh, instead of just being a 3-0 three, three uh, victory I was able to balloon it out uh, and grab the 8-0 uh, by the end of the game which was a little brutal uh, but in the end, uh, yeah, very, uh, very fun, uh, well, yeah, very, very yeah, fair, fun game for me to kind of, like, flex the Eastling's muscles, and I felt it was a little bit distenuous to, to, like, bring the army that I, I had done really well with at Nova, but, uh, at the end of the day, uh, yeah, we had a pretty, 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 pretty full-on game, and, uh, Hats off to George for tr to staying with uh, staying with it in the game and kept playing the game out because uh, he never even though he felt like and he said that he, he felt like it was kind of it was all over and kind of like done it was my advantage it was my game to lose he still kept trying to play it out and try to go for the win which was which was always nice to see a opponent looking for that and he had opportunities he had royal guards coming around the back at one point and hero royal guard who. Maybe had a run for it at the end of the game, but uh, once he flopped his throwing weapons and then failed his courage test, it was uh, kind of all she wrote. So that was the end of day one. I was feeling pretty happy with myself. Uh, three wins. Uh, uh, three pretty good, solid wins too. Uh, an 8-0, a 11-0, and a 9-0 was nothing to kind of sniff at. It was, uh, I felt it was a really strong position. So we went out with uh, the New Zealand crew, uh, kind of... Went to this uh, cute little uh, kind of like eatery that has <coughs> all these different like mini restaurants in this kind of like bar area. So we went and got some food there. I had some really nice um, uh, Vietnamese, which uh, was really nice because I hadn't had any kind of uh, uh, Asian dishes whilst I was away yet. So it was nice to come back to somewhere where I could get a really good Asian dish. And then uh, afterwards we decided to go... Uh, bowling just because like the whole kind of tournament crew went out bowling and stuff and I thought I was feeling okay at this point like my voice has started to come back and uh, we had a good run at the uh, bowling and played some arcade games and stuff like that and you know it was really good fun vibe I was able to chat a little bit because my voice wasn't hurting and I felt pretty good and then I woke up the next morning and realized my laryngitis has gotten worse Predominantly because I had talked all uh, yesterday night. So, if yesterday was uh, my voice was bad, 
today, like, going into day two, my voice was absolutely horrid. Like, I couldn't even make sounds with my voice. Like, I couldn't even, like, try to create a little breathy sound. It, was, it got so bad to the point where I had to... I ended up pulling up uh, my own, uh, my uh, phone, and I had this little sketch app. So I was writing down, like, two, three-word, like, sentences and stuff and, and kind of trying to explain things to my opponent, which was really awkward and really difficult. And it, I was getting really frustrated because, like, I, I would I think of these, like, really cool, fun jokes and then, like, quickly try to scramble to write it down and then show it. And then, like, the, the comedic timing had completely passed me by. So uh, day two was rough. Uh, if there was ever a chance of uh, the... Uh, the uh, sickness debuff coming into effect and really, uh, really screwing me over. It was going to be uh, in this uh, day two. So round four, I was up against uh, Luke, uh, and we were playing the objective scenario. So Luke knew the game he was uh, going to be playing uh, going into this. So he had two options available to him. He had the uh, Black Gate Legendary Legion. Uh, which would be matched up against my bears, or he could take the um the uh, uh what's it called uh the last alliance into the emperor, and he armed and armed and armed and in the end I had the choice I won the roll off so I got to choose whether to play good or evil. Through the discussions, uh, kind of the night previously, everyone had kind of like pseudo soft worked out that the best kind of matchup was going to be the um, last alliance into Aesilis for me. So I tried to do a little bit of mind games with Luke in, in this instance, and I ended up picking the Bionics. Because I'm like, there's no way he's going to expect me to go Bionics uh, into the Black Gate Legendary Legion with, you know, uh, a captain and a couple of troll chieftains. There's no way. Like, he outnumbers me like two, two to one. There's no way he's going to pick it. And he has the advantage in an objective-based scenario, because that's what we were in. We are in domination, breakthrough, and uh, capture and control. So I thought I would try and, like, get him off his game by choosing a scenario pool that he wasn't expecting. Uh, plus, I also don't think the my friends back home were, would ever take me seriously if I didn't play the Bayonis three times in this tournament and predominantly play the Easterlings. So there was that too. So, we deploy out, uh, we ended up vetoing into domination, uh, I figured my best chance of winning this game is getting orcs to run away uh, on the back objectives or something like that, so I played domination and I spread the objectives out as far as I could, um, and tried to make it, make it as awkward as possible for my opponent, so even though he had the number superiority, if I could get them in the right spots, maybe a couple of bad guys just here and there, I could secure a couple of objectives and win by like a small margin. Maybe like a, a 6-5 or something like that. So we run it down and my opponent deploys one of the troll chieftains, the big bad troll chieftain, the nasty one on the left, and his secondary troll chieftain in the middle. Uh, his orc captain was kind of hovering around the back, kind of covering the back objectives. Because there were two objectives really deep in my opponent's deployment zone all the way in the back corners. And there was one really deep back in my corners. The final two objectives, one was in the middle of course, and one was kind of in the middle. It was kind of sort of a little bit on my side of the table, but kind of in the bit of an open. 
so I have my Bionic set up in this position in the middle, trying to cover as much ground as possible, and my opponent wins priority on the first turn and pushes up on the left. And I'm looking at it and going, I think I can I can get a good kind of like engage here if I go hard into the left. Now it would mean I'd have to throw uh, Bayon into combat with his Troll Chieftain, which isn't the greatest idea in the world, but I was surprised. I, I figured this was, I have to take this opportunity if he uh, to kill his Troll Chieftain if he's leaving it open. So I transform Bayon, I run in on the left, go into his Troll Chieftain and use this uh, ruin that we had in the way to box off the combats and even sneak Grimbayon in there as well. I was able to do some shenanigans with a heroic combat uh, with Grimbayon and then transform in heroic combat to push and create uh, push models away and then create space so that I could sneak Grimbayon into the Troll Chieftain. And although the Troll Chieftain won the first round of combat against me, uh, pushing both bears back, and I bear saved one of them too, which was the one wound he did on me too, which was kind of funny. Um, my opponent, uh, I won the roll-off on the second turn and was able to re-engage and basically burn a bunch of might. I think I burnt like 2-3 might to just insta-kill and nuke down the troll. Just pop him, get him off the table and get rid of that fearless troll. Because I knew that uh, from the start of the game that that fearless troll was going to be the biggest problem in this list. Because if the fearless troll is around, that means my opponents with the standfast and the shenanigans it's pretty much guaranteed to hold two objectives. And that's really, really, really bad for me. I had to make sure I held those objectives. Uh, I, I hit the army enough that I would force them to run away. So I ran to the left side of this thing. I had a couple of Bayonings running back to my objective. I think I had three Bayonings running uh, on my back uh, right objective. And they were mostly archers. So the Moran and Orcs that were kind of like hoofing it down towards this back objective uh, uh, took a couple of casualties on the way through so what ended up being an 8 man hit squad uh, only turned into a 6 man hit squad by the time they got there which was pretty important so once I got rid of this big nasty fearless troll chieftain which I think was a bit of a blunder I think my opponent needed to have swapped the two troll chieftains around kept the fearless one in the reserve and threw the expendable one up front because that way once I did go into the fearless troll uh, so once I did break that and kind of like consolidate uh, that left flank, uh, my opponent wouldn't have the uh, the the uh, would still have majority of his army and the models on the objective at the end of the game. So my Bayonis crunched the left flank uh, over time, and I was able to duck uh, Bayon back across, uh, doing a cheeky transform back into a man so he doesn't have to charge, and then transforming back into a bear into the middle. And then Grimbayon went for a beeline uh, for the captain and the remaining troll, trying to, to do some wounds and trying to be annoying and stuff, trying to get in and stuff. Uh, Grimbayon did get into the troll uh, off a barge, but uh, even though uh, he won the combat, just didn't do any, uh, just flopped, bounced off him. Uh, in fact, the Grimbayons did more damage to the second troll than the, ba the, the bears did. So that was kind of fun. So... I knew the pressure was on now, my opponent was trying to get his army killed, and I had to be really quick and decisive about getting onto the objectives. So I knew I had to catch to the middle. I had the left flank objective on my own, that's two points for me, and my opponent had his back two, that's two points for him, that brings him up to four. If I can hold the back one, that's one, and hold the middle one, 
contested. That's another one. Four to four. I win off the leader kill and the break. So I went in hard for the middle, brought Bayon around, uh, and used the last of my might to call a heroic combat and push some more models down south to go help the uh, couple of Bayonings with bow on my back objective. And that turned out to be the correct decision because by the time they got there, they got one last combat in on the last turn and were able to mop up and completely eradicate all the uh, orcs uh, on that back objective, giving me another two points. And yeah, that was all she wrote. Once I managed to get back into basically perma-secure that back objective, eventually my opponent's courage test went south. Uh, he failed the kind of the courage test in the wrong order. And I was able to win this game 6-1 at the end. My opponent had one back objective at the very back. Uh, Grim Bayon got a really lucky uh, uh, max distance 6-inch barge on the last turn to, to sneak onto that back objective and, and deny a point. But 6-1 win to me. And yeah, it turns out bears are really good. And the barge and the combat shenanigans you can do with them... There's going to be some fun stuff that I am looking to forward to, to pulling out and testing at uh, Australian Masters because that was the prime reason uh, I really wanted to uh, use this list at the uh, at the end here uh, was to kind of get some experience with the bears and really kind of learn some of their tricks and picks. So final round, round five. Um, I'm going up against Denny. And I win the roll-off. Once again, I get to pick the matchup. And this time, I decided to pick the Bears again because I really wanted to play the, play the Bears. I really wanted uh, to get practice on them. And I figured matching up into the Easterling Dragon Legion would be a really good way of testing this out. Now, for the first... Weirdly enough, every time I have played a uh, Maelstrom scenario, I have lost the priority roll this trip. Uh, which goes completely in opposite of all my practice. All my practice games up uh, before the tournament, um, I have basically forced myself to win priorities to make it as hard as possible. And then, yeah, all that practice goes out the window because I lose priority every time and I'm able to dictate more of the fights. So my opponent's running the Emperor uh, Ritabian Brogear, a very similar list to what I have, but just not enough, uh, not many Acolytes. And not many of the cataphracts, uh, more models, more back dragons. So, my opponent uh, rolls for the Emperor, rolls a one. Straight off the bat, first roll of the game, rolls a one. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Well, I guess we'll see where Brogear and uh, Ritabi come on. Uh, Brogear comes on center of the north board edge, and Ritabi comes on just next to him. Kirida creating a, 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 a U shape, but. Notably, there's a slight gap in his line. Because the Emperor had the one, he didn't have the models left to kind of secure Brogius' flank. Because, uh, uh, sorry, I forgot the, to mention the order in which models came on the board. First, it was um, uh, the Brogius, and then it was uh, Rutabi and the Emperor. So, the Rutabi came on the left side <coughs> of Brogius, which left his right side completely vulnerable to a gank if I was willing to spend the resources. Which, as it happens, I was. I got lucky with the first roll of roll to six with uh, Grim Bayon and just pushed him straight into a really threatening position. Uh, looked for some bow shots and stuff to go in, and then uh, Bayon spent a point of mire to come on next to his son and be in a really uh, uh, aggressive position. No, sorry, uh, other way around. 
Leon came on first, Grimion came on second, uh, spending the might. So I had a really good charge and flank angle on uh, Brogear here. I figured Brogear is going to be such a big piece in this game. If I can get win the 50-50 to knock him out, knock him out of the game uh, this early, I should, probably should take it. So I did. I gambled on the 50-50, figuring if I can get rid of that Blade Wrath, which is the main way my opponent's going to be able to kill my um, my bears, I'm going to be in a really strong position going into the uh, into the next turns. So I won the roll off, luckily, and was able to transform Grimbayon, slam him straight into uh, Bro Gear, and then slam Bayon into the remaining combats, uh, and then isolate them, isolate the combats off with the remaining Bayonings, making a break for the middle. Now what this did was it meant the Emperor had to come on next to Brogear and, and, the, and the group to get that 5-5 five, five buff going. The 5-5 five, five buff is so important against the, the Bayonings because obviously Bayonings are 5-5. Five, five. You need the 5-5 five, five to be able to contest that and really go home. So instead of kind of angling from the middle, he goes in to protect his own models and try to create an opening to run down this middle. But this is where I kind of um, had learnt my lesson from previous games of trying to get in front of my opponent in the Maelstrom missions, particularly the ones to run to the middle. So after I assassinated Brogear, I used another heroic move, which my opponent interestingly didn't counter, and rolled, kind of started using barges to roll my bears more around his force and try to use my bears as almost as a shield uh, for the center objective. I got a cheeky barge off with Grimbayon and rolled really high, rolled a 5, and was able to detransform him, running back through my lines, and getting him to a position where I could duck him back out and run him up the side of my army and run to the middle. There's also these hedges and barrels and stuff that were kind of like getting in the way, but Grimbayon kind of like rallied the Bayonings around him and led the charge up the flank and got into a really scary position where if my opponent tried to break for the middle and get into the middle objective, they would have to go through a bear first. And Grimbayon did, did his best kind of like a bodyguard impersonation uh, possible. Grimbayon went in <clears throat> and I started to use things like hurls to knock down to slow them down so they couldn't get up and run to the middle. Uh, barges to reposition them and get myself into a better position and using a combination of these two techniques to make sure that the Eastlings were constantly being pushed back and slowed down so they couldn't get into the onto the objective. All the while I had two um, Bayonings split off from the main force and run onto that center objective and make sure I had the point secured. The only model at this point that really had a good easy shot at going for that center objective was the drum. So I kind of let him do what he's want. I like I have two models on the objective and a bear nearby that can barge back if needed. I'm pretty good, uh, pretty secure from this point. And yeah, that's what I did. The emperor eventually kind of like tried to get towards the middle, um, and cut his way through. Eventually, the emperor did get into a really nasty position where he had might, and Bayon was out of might towards the end of the game, and Rotabi was getting into a really nasty position where. She was starting to get into uh, into the spots where she could uh, threaten uh, Bayon and have a real go at him. Uh, but the thing that was keeping me in the game and keeping my kind of like wall working was the fact that I was winning the basic roll-offs for the combats. So aside from the very first uh, combat of the game, uh, roll-off of the game, where it was a heroic move-off, I've been losing all the other heroic move-offs. But the rolls to win the uh, combats... 
I was winning probably about 70% of them. So not quite the 50-50, a bit more skewed in my favour. And that was worth its weight as gold. Because the Bayon is pretty much every time they won a combat were turning around, two out of the axe, burly, smack, kill a black dragon. And although it was only one kill, it was keeping me in a position where I was able to keep using the barges from Bayon and Grim Bayon and keeping my army essentially behind my uh, bears in behind this choke. And I was able to get the Bayon to eventually barge back and do the same thing that the baby bear was doing as well on the main objective, which is create a choke between uh, a big wall and fence section and a big set of barrels and redefine that joke as, I'm a bear, I'm going to sit here with Defense 8. You guys can go ahead and wail on me all day. And while they did, uh, they knocked off all the fate off um, Bayon. Uh, by the end of the game, uh, Grim Bayon even uh, took a bunch of wounds too. He ended the game on one wound, one fate. But for me, at the end here, being able to kind of use the giant base and the high fight value to hide, kind of hide my army behind and peel off and stuff was what was what was the defining moment of this game and eventually i think we both broke on the same turn which was really interesting but end of the day i managed to uh secure the win and in as the absolute most dramatic fashion ever the eastling uh, uh army bonus uh rolled a one off the re-roll so the rolls are one on the first roll rolls are one on the second roll and ends the game early so it would have been interesting to see if the game had to get going because we were both broken at this point and I was I was really curious to see how the game would have panned out if we had to play, say, another three, four, uh, possibly even five more turns. But, hey, I got the uh, got got the lucky roll at the end there uh, with the one into the one. Ended the game early when I had models on the objective and I ended up winning this game 8-1 um, in the end, uh, seven points for the middle and one point for breaking my opponent. Uh, whilst my opponent got one point for breaking me as well. So this was this was a bit of a scare game for me. Uh, I, I think this game got the closest out of any of my other games to nearly tripping me up, nearly kind of like uh, putting me in a, in a nasty position because after I took that initial 50-50, and even though I won it, um, I was in this really... I don't think I should have gone for the 50-50 as hard as I did. Uh, particularly with the way I, I committed both bears in for the 50-50. I think one bear into the 50-50 was fine, but the second bear really needed to go early and really cut off my opponent and get in, in into the shepherding position to, to block box off and block uh, my opponent's ability to uh, really make a run for the middle later in the game. So uh, hats off to um, uh, Denny in this game. He played really well. Gave me the biggest scare of uh, the New Zealand tournament, but uh, at the end of the day, with uh, four wins, uh, I was a uh, sorry with five wins, I was able to walk away with the numero uno spot at the end of the tournament. So, yeah, a lot of fun here. I, I wish I had my voice for this. Um, I felt so so bad because like every other tournament I've been to uh, so far, I've been able to like chat and engage and have fun with the community, but. This time, because of the laryngitis, I couldn't do that. I couldn't talk. I couldn't have fun. I couldn't yap and 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 all this other stuff. So I was I was in this really, really kind of crappy position where I was kind of stuck listening to everyone's ideas and thoughts and not being able to really provide much back in terms of kind of like ideas and and just chatting and engaging with the community. So New Zealand, I will be back to to properly properly have a, a proper social night with you all and uh i look forward to coming back but uh yeah this has been a pretty long one uh, i'm gonna leave it here 
Uh, I think there's only two episodes left. Uh, one more travel kind of episode where I play a couple of casual games uh, in New Zealand and back in Oz. And then finally I'll be rounding it off with the Australian Masters, which should be an absolute banger of a tournament. I'm really looking forward to playing in that, particularly with the Bears too, because uh, if this New Zealand tournament has taught me anything is the Bears have so much potential. And one of the things I'm really loving is this skill expression with the Bayonings. Uh, so much you can do there with the uh, the transform, detransform with the two big bears. So really looking forward to playing uh, playing playing that uh, on home soil. So uh, without further ado, Trapswing Games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.